Hello and welcome to the Kinetic Fitness Show, where we inspire you to live a longer, healthier, happy, and more joyful life. We cover everything you need to know to be optimally healthy in your mind, body, and spirit. Are you ready to become the ultimate version of yourself? Well, let's dive into another episode with your host and guide by your side, Allie West. Welcome to episode number 58 of the Kinetic Fitness Show. Super grateful to have you listening in. Whether this is your first time with me or you are a returning or a regular listener, always grateful to have you on board listening in. And no matter what you're doing, whether you're at home, in the car, in the gym, in the shower, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, listening to this, welcome. And I'm grateful to have you on board. I have a great guest lined up for you today. His name is Brendan Burns. Brendan is a speaker, podcast host, entrepreneur. I'm going to be honest with you as well, guys. This was one of my favorite episodes to record. Maybe as a podcast host, as an interviewer, I shouldn't have favorites. But come on, we all have favorites in different areas and different things. And this was one of my favorite episodes so far. Myself and Brendan, we share a lot of the same interests and the same values. We're very much into developing ourselves as well as other people. We are into mindset, spirituality, health and well-being. Therefore, I thought it was only right to get Brendan on and to share his knowledge, his wisdom and his expertise with my audience, with my listeners. So a little bit about Brendan and then we'll get stuck into the episode and he will tell you a lot more. He has a very deep and insightful and emotional story as well to share with you guys. And then we get stuck into all sorts of different elements. We cover so many different topics and areas in this podcast. I know you're going to love it. Here's a little bit about Brendan then. Brendan is a New York-based entrepreneur. He's a speaker, a podcast host, and a high-performance coach as well. He has experience working with high performers, professional athletes, including some from the NFL and Major League Baseball, as well as high-level executives and clients from over 60 countries on six different continents. His main passion is to share the process that radically transformed him from a past filled with abuse and trauma to living an authentic, fulfilled and passionate life today. As I mentioned, we are very much on the same wavelength myself and Brendan and we really vibed on this podcast so I hope you enjoy it let's get stuck into this episode also if you haven't already liked the Facebook page and joined the Facebook community then you can do that now or at the end of this podcast just simply type into Facebook the kinetic fitness show and kinetic is spelled k-i-n-e-t-i-k fitness show the kinetic fitness show if you type that into Facebook you can like the Facebook page And also within that, you can join the Kinetic Fitness Show community. So we can ramp the volume up and ramp the conversation up within Facebook. And if you need any help, you can ask me within there as well. So don't forget to do that. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Ali West Fitness. And Brendan will tell you all of his handles and his website at the end of this show. That's it. Let's get stuck in. Here we go with episode 58 with Brendan Burns. Enjoy. Hi, Brendan. How are you doing? Thank you for joining me here on the Kinetic Fitness Show podcast today. My pleasure, Ali. Thank you for having me. 
no problem. A little bit of a, a time difference, but it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I actually run a group coaching program and we do the calls at 7 p.m. Eastern time every two weeks. And we have people from the UK who stay up till midnight to jump on the calls. So if they can do that, I can do this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I appreciate your time. And I'm looking forward to uh, diving into your, your knowledge, your expertise, your wisdom. But before we, we do that, can you just give us a little bit of a backstory about you, who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So my background, my name is Brendan Burns. I'm from New York originally. I live in Manhattan now. And I, I grew up on Long Island in, in, a, in a home that had a lot of abuse. Uh, so there was some physical violence. There was emotional abuse, verbal abuse, um, things, things like that in, in my upbringing. And I had no idea what was normal, what was not normal. So I just assumed that everything was fine. My parents got divorced when I was in ninth grade. Uh, so about 13 years old, 14 years old. And uh, I moved in with my mom and stepdad and there was even more abuse there. And then there was um, addiction as well. So my stepfather was addicted to pretty much everything you can be addicted to. And one night he came home and he smashed a plate over his own head and called the cops and he was bleeding everywhere. And he told the cops that my mom did it and my mom went to jail. And so these were the types of things that I was experiencing in my upbringing. Again, I think because it was so painful, you either minimize or you deny what happened. And so I just went on, I said, I'm going to get as far away from this situation as I can. And I went to Cornell University, which is in upstate New York. I studied my bachelor's there for four years. And then I also obtained a law degree and an MBA. And my hope was I would just go into Wall Street, make as much money as possible. I would never fight with my wife because my parents fought about money so much. And I figured if I just make a bunch of money, then I'll never fight with my wife. Uh, little did I know that I hadn't heard the song by Notorious B.I.G. called More Money, More Problems. <laughs> and so I attracted a lot of the wrong crowd, people who were obsessed with money. Um, I spent a lot. I saved a little bit. And it was in that journey that I was so fortunate. When I tell people I was fortunate that um, my girlfriend that I was living with broke up with me, I got fired, and my brother had to go to the hospital for a chronic illness all within the same week. And to say I was fortunate that that happened, most people don't understand initially. But that was my awakening. So a lot of people who consider themselves saved or begin a journey in life or a new version of their life it's often because of something so painful, either a divorce or losing a child or something of that nature. That was my experience that launched me into, okay, things are definitely not okay. Some people have told me that I would benefit from therapy. Some people have told me certain things, but I was deny, deny, deny. And this was the actual first time in my life where I said, okay, I, I need and I want to get help and figure out what's happening here. So I went to the Barnes and Noble bookstore closest to me. I started pulling all these books on abuse for whatever reason. I think it was my ex-girlfriend. Her name was Jen. She, she wrote down on a piece of paper the word abuse. And for whatever reason, I Googled it. I started looking up these words and these books. And I saw that there was a book called The Emotionally Abusive Relationship by Beverly Engel. I, I went to Barnes & Noble. I got all these books. But that one in particular was the book for me. There was this list, Allie, it said, if you do three or more of these things out of 10, you're emotionally abusive. And of course, I was 10 out of 10. And so in that moment, I realized I needed help. And so I actually, in tandem with 
reaching out to therapists in New York City, I wrote the author of this book a letter. And she actually wrote me back. And little did I know, but I was about to embark upon a five-year therapy relationship with the author of the book, speaking once a week with her, and very much transformed my life and taught me uh, so much about what I know today. And it got to a point where I was working on Wall Street as my day job in a much better role for me than where I had been. I was in investment banking, which is very cutthroat and intense. I know in London, there's an investment banking presence as well. And so I made the transition to a hedge fund, which was difficult, but still much easier for me. And while I was working there on the side, on the weekends and the mornings and evenings, I was doing very deep, psychologically intense work on myself with the support and guidance of coaches and therapists and going to personal development seminars and even religious events, anything I could do that I felt like would make me transform and become a healthy version of myself. And in that process, it's not uncommon to read books about entrepreneurship and becoming your own boss and, you know, laptop lifestyle. There's definitely some overlap between personal development and entrepreneurship and business success. And so in that process, I remember I was reading, there's a book by Peter Thiel called Zero to One. And then I was reading some Jack Canfield stuff. He wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. Yep. Jack's actually a friend of mine now. He came on my podcast. And so through both of them, I kind of just realized I have to do this. I was definitely meant to be an entrepreneur, but I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. And I was trying these different consulting things. I thought about starting my own investment firm. But ultimately, I realized that my calling was to help people the way that I've helped myself through therapy and coaching. And obviously, I didn't do it alone. But I realized that the transformation that I had in my life was really very deeply related to mental health, depression, anxiety, and transforming to become a powerful, authentic version of your best self. And so in 2016, on the side, I started blogging a little bit and I set up an Instagram account. Little did I know that uh, about a year later, late in 2016, I would get fired due to poor performance, which I totally deserved because I was spending all my time working on my business. And eventually got to a point where it's been, I guess, three years now of this journey of taking my personal development and putting it into action as a business. And it's gone incredibly well. I'm so grateful to say that I make more money now than I did when I was on Wall Street. I've done speaking events. I've led retreats in Costa Rica, New York City. I've spoken in front of crowds here. I have a podcast where I've had billionaires, Jack Canfield and other types of people like him on the show. And I know I have a lot to learn. Uh, it's still an ongoing journey for me. Some things that I'm really passionate about helping people with are relationships, which is still an area that I'm working through, as well as addiction, which is something that I've overcome, specifically with food, alcohol, and pornography. So I'm really passionate about that. I'm passionate about coaching men specifically. There's a book that I read recently called No More Mr. Nice Guy. And Dr. Glover came on my show and we've become close. And so all, all of these things I'm really passionate about doing. And I have a lot of a big vision for where I want to go in the future, but I'm also pacing myself, making sure I'm growing for the right reasons, you know, because a lot of people with my type of background, we want to achieve and have success and make a lot of money and be on this big stage. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta make sure that I grow into that because I've been on some decently big stages and I've kind of felt like, all right, there's a lot more inner work for me to do to really transform these people. So 
I know that I belong out there and I am helping transform people's lives, but I also know that there's more inner growth for me to do as I scale everything for the right reasons. And I just feel very blessed to be able to help people and, and make a difference in people's lives. I've helped some people get off of, uh, helped a woman get off of heroin. I've helped people reclaim who they really are as a human being. I've helped men set boundaries and stand up to their wives and uh, really feminine men become real men and, and who they really are. And so it's been, it's been such an amazing experience. Amazing, amazing story. And well done to you and congratulations for the journey that you've been on and, and turning it around. That's incredible. And there's a lot of people that may have been in that position and wouldn't have been able to do that, which is what I want to touch on a little bit now. I just want to kind of backtrack a little bit and unpack some of the things that you've said. And the first bit I want to go to is the bit where you went and started to read these books and you was at the lowest of the low. You said you obviously, what was it? You lost your job, your girlfriend left you and your brother was ill all at the same time. What some pe- For some people and for the vast majority of people, that would like almost not destroy them, but it'd like bring them right down and they'd like me think, oh, how can I go on? Or they might go in the wrong direction. Like other than going to books and stuff, what, what made you decide to like go and start changing your life, improving things? What was the big thing? Was it this underlying knowing of one of what you wanted to do or what was the thing that made you go on the route that you've gone as opposed to like spiraling out of control? Yeah. I I think that relationship was the first time in my life where I'm so grateful that I was able to open up my eyes and get away from the denial. I think people who come from families where there's narcissism or borderline personality disorder or any form of abuse People either say that it was all my fault or it's not my fault at all. And as I'm sure you know, Allie, I saw a wedding ring. So I I would imagine that you understand what relationships are like to some extent where it's always, you know, it's always a mix of the two. Maybe it's 90, 10. There are times where our partners are totally responsible. However, it's usually some combination and some somewhere in, in the middle where we have to take responsibility for our role in conflict. And up until that point, I was, I guess, in such denial about the the contributions that I I was making that were probably tremendous and significantly painful towards my partner. So I just blamed it all on her. And I can't tell you, it's it's something that I can't explain in words, but I don't know why I I said, okay, I'm going to actually do something about it maybe because I was closer to marriage, we were talking about getting engaged and building a life together. So maybe it was losing something really important, or maybe it was, I knew deep down that she was a very secure woman and that if there were major problems, I had to be introspective. Maybe it was just that word abuse that she wrote down on an iPhone note and I saw that word and then I connected it to my mom saying it years ago and then Googling it and then once I saw it on Google, seeing all the things and saying, oh, wow, okay, this is, this is real. I can't tell you, it's some combination of all of that. And underneath all of that was this desperate, and I'll tell you, this isn't the right reason to do it, but it got me to understanding. It may have been this desperate craving of love from a woman, a desperate desire to be loved and to have a family, possibly for the wrong reasons, due to a big void inside myself that launched me into, okay, well, 
I really want a relationship. I really want a family, which are good things to pursue and saying, I think I need to do stuff a lot differently if I want to have what I want in my life. And so to, for whatever reason, some combination of all that got me into that bookstore and it's one of the things I'm most grateful for in my life is that I took responsibility in that moment because now I try to do that in everything in my life. Because at the end of the day, if it's the wrong boss, the wrong partner, the wrong employee, the wrong amount of money, the wrong life, it still always is, is on us. Yeah. Taking ownership. It, yeah. Cause we either, we chose them or we allow them to treat us the way that we're being treated or whatever. So that's what contributed to getting me into that bookstore. And then once I started reading the books, one of the big realizations I had was that I don't need to go find a woman to love me. I need to learn how to derive that love from inside myself, you know, whether it comes from God or the universe or just from me, but it has to be something that I'm in control of, of learning how to provide myself with that love and acceptance. And then from that place, I've been able to, and this is just in the past, I would say starting the beginning of last year, been able to even be in relationships. I took about four years off. So for anyone who's in their 20s or 30s, scared, you know, I'm single, it's okay to take your time and to figure out what you need to do inside yourself first. Because a lot of people where I live in New York City, for example, a lot of women specifically, but men too, will get very anxious and see all of their friends pairing off and then make a bad decision. You know, I, I coached a woman who was in her late twenties and out of fear that she wouldn't meet someone else married the wrong person. Now, Ali, what do you think happened to her two and a half years later? Yeah, it went wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They got, they got it. She got a divorce. And so now you're 31, 32, and now you're out there starting over again. And so, so I've learned a lot about relationships. I've learned a lot about myself. And I'm, again, very grateful that I took ownership. Uh, I worked with Beverly, the author of that book, for about five years. I would say two years into my work with her, she called me out for having a lot of compulsive behavior, like I mentioned before, the addictions. And so I read a book by a man named George Collins called Breaking the Cycle. And he basically took a very spiritual approach to addiction very much rooted in Eckhart Tolle and studying mind and a very Buddhist Eastern philosophy approach to addiction. And it really resonated with me. And so I worked with him for three years. I was in his men's group, which met weekly. I went to two of his retreats in California. And so that was also tremendous in, in my growth and my recovery. And so these are things I tell people when obviously I provide a lot of these services, but you got to just find someone who's a good fit for you and really getting in touch with other people and taking this deep ownership in your own journey. And so that's what I did. And now I'm at a point where I just got out of a relationship that was uh, about a year long, which for me was a huge win. And I learned so much about partner selection and what I need in a relationship and what's left for me to heal inside myself, to be more ready and able. And so that was a huge win. Obviously, I was very sad to break up. But for me, it's just continuing to grow my business and continuing to do my inner work and uh, just continue to help guide people. Perfect. Love it. It's great. 
Yeah. Okay, let's talk about some of your your day to day practices then, Brendan, because obviously you've you've worked with a lot of different people now. Also, you've been blessed enough to interview many great minds, and you've read a lot of, of books. I know because I've I've followed you for for a while now and and seen some of the books, and I think I've got your reading list as well of like some of the books you recommend. So, um, out of all these people you've worked with and all these things you've done, like what are some of the things that you put into day to day? use like what's your kind of daily routine look like have you got a daily routine because some people don't have them you don't have to have one but do you have like some day-to-day things that you always do that that lead to you uh progressing on this upward trajectory yeah so it's a great question ali and my answer is i have a very very strict uh morning routine and daily routine that i'm still in the process of refining uh, and I'm also currently working on dialing in a good evening routine, which I just started on Monday of this week. And because what I've realized is most of like, in, when I wake up in the morning, I'm so I'm doing such good inner work on myself. And what I realized is at night I'm not. And so I said, well, why don't I have an evening routine? So yeah. I'm still figuring that out. This is just from the past week. But my, my morning routine is I usually wake up around 738. I do not use an alarm clock unless I'm traveling or unless I'm sleeping too much. I think that's something people don't realize is if you're sleeping nine plus hours, that can be indicative of depression. Yeah. So I like to just let myself sleep a solid seven and a half, eight hours minimum, wake up. And then the first thing I do is I, I read either something very spiritual or I'll even read from the Bible. So I'm Jewish and, uh, but I also am open to reading from the New Testament as well. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I definitely will read for at least 10, 15 minutes from either something very spiritual or something biblical. I will then re I, I'm, I'm re going through uh, Jack Canfield's course. It's called Breakthrough to Success. It's an audio program. So I'll then do some of that. I'll listen to some of that um, 10, 20 minutes. I will then meditate. So I'll meditate for about 10, 15 minutes. Um, usually just some kind of relaxing. If you go on Spotify, the playlist is actually called Relaxing Massage. And so I just listen to probably three, three of those songs and I meditate. Then I read my mantras. So I have daily mantras. I can pull them up. But essentially they're uh, something in the neighborhood of today I will face, I will face and move through any pain that arises. I will be in my body. I will slow down. I will be present. I will be here. I'm calling into my life, stability, tranquility, healthy friendships, healthy relationships, business security, whatever I want to call in. Um, I realize that I do not need to change who I am at all. The only thing I need to change is how I perceive myself. Yeah. I think that's a big thing that people, we can talk a lot about that if you want. Um, I don't need to change who I am. I just need to be more me. Thank you. I love you. And that a very basic mantra like that I'll say every day. Powerful. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it is. I've got my five, I've got like five set affirmations uh, that I do every single morning without fail. And sometimes I do them more than once and life changing, absolutely life changing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't need to tell you for the audience. And then, so then I, then I go to the, the mirror and I do what's called the mirror exercise. Yeah, I know this. <laughs> yeah, so you but, probably but, know uh, it. Elaborate. Yeah, 
Exactly. This is something that Jack taught me, Jack Canfield, which is, and I do it twice a day, morning and night. And by the way, for people out there, just so you know, this is something that took me years to get to this place, right? You know, this isn't, I just woke up one day and I said, I want to do personal growth and this is my morning routine. So for those people who have no morning routine, I want to say, just take one of these seven things and yeah. test it out and then go just from to, there. Just to touch on that as well, mate. Um, also, you mentioned right at the start that it's ever-evolving ever and it's constantly growing and changing your your routine. So that's another thing to point out to the listeners is don't get hung up on it too much and then it will change. Mine's changed over the last year or two and it keeps changing and I'm trying to perfect it and find what works and what doesn't. So it's a constant practice constant experiment and don't don't sweat it if you if it's not fitting how it should straight away it'll come over time for sure yep absolutely another thing worth mentioning and then i'll get back to my routine is for people in relationships because i noticed that this became an issue for me with my last girlfriend was it's easy to not do your proper morning routine when you wake up next to someone so let's say you have a girlfriend and you guys sleep over a couple nights a week and then you don't really do it on those nights, or if you're married, you know, then it's harder to just do that in general. So this is something that Tony Robbins said that I really liked because I, I challenge a lot of my clients to meditate. I say, if you can't do anything, just play the music and meditate for 10 minutes in the morning. Or you can do, Tony has a, a meditation called priming, a gratitude meditation, and you can get that for free on YouTube. And I say, just, just do priming once a day, 10 minutes. People say, oh, I don't have 10 minutes. And I say back, if you don't have 10 minutes, you don't have a life. Yeah. You know, if you can't get into a bathroom stall or a closet for 10 minutes once a day, you're just, what's the excuse you're making? What's the resistance? What's the fear? I had a client say to me, he didn't have 10 minutes. I said, give me your phone. He said, no. I said, give me your phone. So I took his phone. I went to the settings. I went to screen time said six hours and 24 minutes per day on the phone, two hours, Instagram, one hour, Facebook, two hours, WhatsApp. I said, you have 10 minutes. Yeah, for sure. And we all do. And we all could benefit from slowing down, reading a little bit less news, turning off the YouTube, turning off the social media. So that's just my philosophy on morning routines, carving out time when you have a partner also, and then just to go back to my routine, so it's it's spiritual or Bible, the Jack Canfield audio course, mantras, meditations. Then I go to the mirror and I do my mirror exercise. So that is three things I'm proud of myself for doing the day before, three temptations I resisted from the day before, and then three things I love about myself, and then 15 seconds of eye contact telling myself that I love myself. And feel free to run with that and do more if you want. You know, people can then really start to say other things. Oh, I think you're beautiful is something a woman shared with me that she's started to do and people can add on to that. But that's, I do that. And then the last part of my morning routine, I guess the last two things are one is I, I usually will then come to my couch and I'll brew some tea, some herbal tea. And then whatever book that I'm working through right now, I'm reworking through No More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Glover. And I'll just do a couple pages. And I don't read it. I, I, Eckhart Tolle calls this thing meditative reading. So I'll really, I have a pen, a highlighter, I have my tea, 
and I'll spend probably a good 30 minutes really digging into it. And so whether you need a book, whoever's listening, whether the right book for you is how to get over a relationship, whether it's how to get ready for a relationship, whether it's how to grow your business, whatever your thing is that you're most focused on, find a book that's impactful, that resonates with you. And I just really dig into that for probably 20, 30 minutes. And then that takes me to about 9 a.m. And then at 9 a.m., I do my home workout. So I'll work out for 30 to 45 minutes at home, jump rope, pull-ups, push-ups, planks, et cetera. So I do that. And then I'll, it's funny because lately I've been experimenting with shifting yin and yang. And I'm a big believer in masculine and feminine energy. So yeah. I'm playing very soothing, very light, earthy, divine. Some people call that feminine style music during that part. And then at nine, I say, all right, I need some masculine. And I pump up Spotify, the, the hip hop, the rap, the, the EDM, whatever I need to do. That's when I get my, my gym clothes on and, my, and I prime myself. My mind totally, my shift state uh, changes. Yeah. And so that's why I do the workout. And that's when I, the Biggie Mo Money Mo Problems comes on, right? Yeah, exactly. When Biggie, <laughs> Smalls, Biggie Smalls comes on, exactly. So Biggie, Tupac, whatever I got to do to get me pumped up, I do that. And then that's like 9 to 9.30, 9.45. Around then, I'll walk my dog for about 15 minutes around the block. And then I get back. It's 10 o'clock. That's business development mode. So I spend about an hour talking to my chief operating officer and prospecting for business, for either for my podcast, for capital raising, for new client acquisition. That's 10 to 11. And then 11 until I would say 4 or 5 is business. So... I have a coaching practice. I do some one-on-one. -on -one. I do a lot of executive and corporate coaching. Uh, um, I usually re reserve my podcast episodes for Fridays. But I'll, yeah, just do like prospecting meetings, business coaching, um, stuff like that, networking, getting out there, lunches, events. That's like 11 to 4, 11 to 5. And then I try to wrap up by 4 or 5 and then do something social in the evenings. I have different community groups that I go to. And uh, like men's work group or just co-ed meetup groups, things like that. And that's pretty much it. Dinner. And then that's the last part is what I'm still working on is figuring out that evening routine. But that hopefully gives you a good sense for my day and my routines. Yeah, it's brilliant. What about, what would you say then to these guys that um, are maybe wasting time or they wake up with the alarm, they're in a state of like panic and then they jump in the car, drive straight to work, and they've not really done any of the stuff that you've just said. What would be like maybe one or two tips just to like to get something good going and get structure rather than just fumbling the way through the day? So you probably know this already, Ali, from your fitness experience. But the, the biggest thing when people come to me and they say that they are not able to do these morning routines or they wake up the way you explain. I would say, I would ask them, how much water are you drinking each day? Are you drinking any alcohol? Are you taking caffeine either before bed or the first thing when you wake up? So there's this uh, whole thing about if you drink coffee, um, or even if you don't, you, we sweat overnight and we lose water in our sleep. And that's why it's really important if you are going to drink coffee to have a full glass of water first and when you wake up. Yes, yeah, so first thing I do. First thing yeah. I do is hydrate. Exactly. So and you already know this. And so I would ask them these types of questions. And again, I would go back to, all right, can you just set your alarm 10 minutes earlier? I would ask them about their evening routine because the, the, the best way to get a good night of sleep 
And the best way to have a good morning is to ask yourself, what did you do the night before? So are you getting in bed with an iPad and just watching mindless YouTube? What are you doing that night before, you know, that's actually co-creating your, your bad mornings? The other thing I would say is, what are you doing on your commute? Could you take a slice of up a lemon, put it in a water or make an herbal tea and put that in your car and play soothing meditation music for 10 minutes and then switch to an audiobook or a podcast about personal development while you're in the car or while you're on your commute. I think every person is on the go for at least a couple hours per day, right? Or you're at the gym for an hour per day or this or that. So you can feed your mind and feed your soul by listening to these things when you're on the go. And if you're waking up in that stupor, you might also have anxiety, um, which meditation would help with. So it's really understanding what's your evening routine, what's your sleep schedule. One thing that I've realized is that when you meditate, when you let go of anxiety, when you go to bed earlier and you cut out TV and YouTube a little bit more, you can go to bed at 10, 10.30 p.m. and wake up an hour before you need to go anywhere. And I used to think those people were freaks. When you hear these people waking up at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m., what I've realized is they just watch less TV and are healthier and they go to bed earlier, take care of themselves more, and that gives them the opportunity in the morning to do something a little bit more meaningful. Yeah, I, I always say to my clients that the morning routine starts the night before, and I, I heard that off somebody, I can't remember who it was, but if you get that evening and you're working on that at the moment and I'm I'm working on mine, but yeah, getting the, the evening locked down. And I think one of the biggest things that I did personally recently, probably within the last six months, is just set a bedtime. Like this is my time for going to, to for falling to sleep. I've got to be asleep by that time. So then I, I know I'm sleeping for my seven and a half, eight hours. And then I've got my set sleep time, set wake up time. And then I can start to arrange the routines around that. So I think a set wake up time and a set sleep time is, is a good starting point for people as well, for sure. Yeah, that's good. And I also, it's funny, on my last group call, there was a woman who clearly was very tired and called her out on that. And I asked her, you know, because I knew that if I just said go to bed earlier, it wouldn't work. So I matched her up with, I said, who is the person you're closest to in your life that can be hard on you in a good way? And she said, my mom. And so I said, perfect, call your mom right after this call and tell her she, she's going to be your accountability partner. She's going to call you at 9.30 every night and make sure you're, you're in bed. And so that's something that I think is useful for people potentially. And I think that's a great idea. Pick a time you're going to go to bed, get on a schedule. Habits take 60 to 90 days to form and just push through it in the beginning and you'll get there. Yeah. And you also mentioned about when you're in a relationship, whether that's a partner or a, or a wife or a husband or whatever, that it can sometimes be tricky, but I think a key thing is to have that support system. You mentioned it, accountability support system, having that other person there that they're, they're not going to, they're not going to stress you or, or shy you or give you some shit. If you decide that you're going to set this routine, they don't have to do it. They can have their own thing going on. Like for, for, for example, me and my wife, Sarah, we've got our own thing. She does her thing in the morning. I do mine. Mine's very similar to yours. I, it incorporates meditation, affirmations, etc. Uh, and that Sarah doesn't really do anything like that. She does meditate, but she a lot of the other stuff that I do, she doesn't do, and that's cool. But she still supports me, and I support her. So being in that supportive, nurturing environment with your your partner or loved one is is vital as well, for sure. Absolutely, you have to be with someone who accepts you 
And it's our job to accept our partners and not judge them and say, oh, you need to be doing more of this like I am, right? I'm doing all this great personal development. They may not be in that season. They may come from a different background, not needed at this point. So uh, you, we have to not judge what they do. And we also have to uh, value ourselves enough to choose to be with someone who gives us the space to do that and doesn't take it personally if we're not available to them at those times. Which, and, is a, which is a skill and a practice in itself as well. It's something that you have to work on. And you've, you've said that you've worked on it or working on it. And the same with me, there's sometimes when I, I'm like, oh, Sarah, you should be doing this. Or, or, or as we say, judging. And it's, it takes self-work, doesn't it? Like working on yourself to be able to, one, spot that and be aware of it. And then two, make the changes or the necessary changes to work on that to, to move forward. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a skill and a practice as well. That judgment usually comes from a place of that, whether it's judgment or wanting to control comes from a place of fear mm. because we know that if we don't do this work, we know who we will be. And so we project that onto other people as well. Yeah. Right. Or we're, we're scared that, well, I'm doing this. And so you should be too. And, and it's really at the end of the day, it always just comes back to us. And so I noticed that in my past, I would judge my partner and behaviors that she or women I would date would do out of a fear that something would go wrong in the future. And one thing that I've learned about personal development is if someone was judging me and trying to correct me when I was making mistakes, and let's say I'd listened to them, I might have not had my catastrophic awakening moment. And so being able to go on this journey freely has been a blessing because I think to, the best way to learn is to actually make big mistakes sometimes. So that's, that's, that's hard in a relationship when you see your partner going down that path. Now, you don't want to just put your head in the sand. It's, it's our duty to say, hey, you know, I'd like to sit down. I want to talk to you. I notice you're, you're drinking a little bit more than usual or you're doing this or I notice you're not going to the gym and how it's impacting your, you and us. And so let's have a conversation about that. But after you speak up about it, then it's time to just let go and the ball's in their court. And so that's really great, Ali, that you can admit that it's, it's a process for you to work on letting go of that control. And it's something that millions, if not billions of people are working through or could be working through. Yeah, for sure. I think we're, we've gone off, off on a different path now, but I'm going to stick with it because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying this bit. But another two things to tag on the end of that is to be able to and th these are things that i've worked hugely on in the last definitely the last 12 months which are number one to be honest and and to be honest with with what you're saying to your partner and your loved one and 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 be honest with your word and then second be able to practice forgiveness and learn to forgive and not just forgive the other person but more importantly forgive yourself and this was something that for myself that was a real real struggle when I first doing it like no no I, I can't I can't let I can't let go I can't forgive myself but since I've been pr practicing daily forgiveness mainly internally to myself and then learning to forgive others as well I, this has had a huge shift in my in my mindset and in my life as well so that's a key thing to point out to the listeners is if you are in a relationship be honest the best you can and also learn to forgive so you can move forward yeah the coolest thing about when you do work, honesty work is you realize, we all realize how dishonest we are, not because we lie. There are people who lie a lot, and that's obviously not good and something to for sure address. But I think so many people 
withhold information and they don't realize how much they lie by misrepresenting things or by holding things back because they don't want to address it now and then it becomes so much worse later on or down the road. And so it's really important to admit the difficulties in honesty and say it is hard, it is challenging to be honest, especially in difficult situations. One thing I've also realized is how important honesty is in terms of serving people. As a coach, there were times and still are times where I have to, and, and as a, I'm sure you experienced this too, Allie, where it's so obvious, yet your client is so blind to it. And so you ha- it's, it's our responsibility to be really honest with them. And that is something that can cause a lot of pain to come out of that person, a lot of denial, a lot of resistance. But that's the very thing that we owe our clients from an integrity standpoint is I have to call you out on this. And I think people don't want to hear the truth a lot of times. And and if you do give them the truth, they either become defensive or angry. So we as human beings are often disincentivized from telling the truth Mm. because we will then receive pain. So honesty requires a lot of self-development to learn how to deal with your emotions because when you are honest it might be a tough situation for you so that's one thing i'll just say about honesty and then remind me the oh you're talking about forgiveness so yeah yeah, the other thing about forgiveness that i found is to uh just forgive other people one thing that i've read about is that if you can accept that we are we are forgiven and that we are good enough and to not live in the shame of our mistakes, the best way to actually heal our own shame and forgive ourselves is to start by forgiving other people. And to me, that just carries over to the whole concept of everything that goes on in us is what we do with other people. So if we can be kinder to ourselves, accept ourselves more, congratulate ourselves more, love ourselves more, then everything else externally comes a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. And it reflects back to you as well. Mm-hmm. There's something I was going to mention about honesty. Yeah, that you say it can be tough as and hard, but I've actually found honesty quite liberating. It's like mm-hmm. as if you're like letting a huge weight off of your shoulders and you're releasing. And you said about being honest with with clients and people you work with as well. If they're if you spotted something that they haven't spotted, but also there's one thing I want to point out is to be honest with others if you've messed up as well and this is something that i've done like because i think sometimes as coaches we're like we think that we're we should be a one perfect all the time and be the the ultimate person as a coach but sometimes we do mess up and we screw up and it's okay to admit that and say look i messed up and it happened to me recently i'd organized a meeting with somebody that has actually been on my podcast as a catch-up like an idiot we've all done it i didn't put it in my diary and i'm one of them people probably like yourself if it's not in the calendar and not in the schedule it doesn't get done completely forgot got a message about 20 minutes into this the supposed meeting ali i'm waiting in the coffee shop for you where are you and i'm and i I could have the old me would have said oh i got stuck in traffic or something happened or my my I, i don't know anything any excuse but i just literally said i'm so sorry it's my fault I effed up. I didn't put it in my diary and I was just completely honest and it felt great that I was honest. And then the same thing happened back. She said, look, I completely understand. Don't worry. It's okay. These things happen. 
and it just felt so much better to be honest. So I, I think to the listeners listening in, it's a great, it's a great thing just to try and practice honesty and just, and, and, and just, just try it and see how you get on. It'll, it'll change things for sure. Yeah. That, that's such a great experience that you were able to do that and share that because I know that when people hear that, they're going to really learn from what you just said. And that's so great. It, it also makes me think of, there was an episode, have you ever heard of the show Seinfeld? Yeah. It's an American yeah. show. Yeah. It's an American show. And there's this episode where Jerry, he has this, he knows this guy who he really doesn't like. He doesn't like spending time with him. The guy's a real jerk and really mean. And so Jerry needs to be honest with this guy and just say, look, I, it's, I don't want to be friends. Like it's not a good fit. And instead he just comes up with an excuse every time. And so what happens is he's writing on this notepad and Elaine comes in and says, Jerry, what is that list? It says dentist appointment, gym, my grandma's in town. I'm busy, all these things. And Jerry goes, oh, it's a list of excuses for if Joel calls. So this way, every time he calls, I can just say a different thing on the list and I don't have to get caught on the spot. And so the problem is when you tell someone you're busy this one time, they're going to call you the next week and say, oh, can you do something next week? And finally, in the last scene of the episode, this guy comes over. He has season tickets to the New York Knicks basketball so he can go any game. And he just takes out the list and he goes, and, and Jerry's holding his list of excuses too. So Joel says, what are you doing on January 3rd? And Jerry goes, dentist, January 5th, grandma, January 7th. And just going back and forth. And it's just, the, the sooner you can be liberated, like you said, take that weight off your shoulder of just saying either, look, I'm, I'm just in a very busy season right now and I'm not getting together with anyone other than my closest friend or my girlfriend. Or you can just say, like, I just don't think this friendship is a good fit for me, but I wish you the best of luck. Whatever you need to do to be honest, it's difficult, but then it, it helps them face what they need to face or gives them space to go hang out with people better suited for them. And it gives you that freedom and, then, and that ability to set that boundary and move forward with what you need to do. So, so yeah, honesty and being really firm and, and direct and speaking up. This is something that I've experienced. I joined a new meetup group and I had a couple people um, approach me and try to get my phone number and, and want to meet up and get together with me. And I've had to be really firm with them. And I even had a, a guy from one of my group coaching programs sending me things like, oh, are you going to buy this course? And are you going to do that? Like, kind of like we're on the same level. And I used to just say, oh, no. But I got to a point where I, I had to say, someone texting me oh are you going to go buy these online courses that just doesn't work for me i want to be surrounded by people who are making courses people who are up here with me and mm -hmm. and i didn't want to hurt his feelings but i was actually not serving myself by enabling this and so i said to him hey I, you're a great guy and i know you mean well but you know when you text me that if i follow this guy on twitter it gives me a better chance to get connected with him I already know him personally. He's already set up to come on my podcast and I don't mean this to be arrogant, but I'm in his level now. So I really appreciate your support, but like these types of things aren't, I don't need this anymore. Yeah. And I don't mean this to be arrogant, but when you text me to say, Oh, I can go be a fanboy for this guy. You clearly don't understand who I am and I need to surround myself with people who are either at my level or who treat me for, with the level that I'm at. Not I'm better than that person, but the level that I'm at, you know, to, when people are texting me to follow someone on Twitter to try to get his attention, 
that unconsciously programs me to think that I'm at a lower level than these people when I'm not. Yeah. And, and then he responded saying, you're absolutely right. And I'm really proud to see all the growth that you've had to get to that point. There you go. Yeah. And in a way, he's saying about levels as well, but it just makes me think of like the vibrational energy that people have. And you can have people that lower that vibe and bring you, bring your vibration down or people that take you up. Mm -hmm. I'm getting the high vibes right now, Brendan. I'm getting the high vibes. (laughs) Hey, it's important. I hung out with someone recently and we had plans to do um, play sports and then it turned into the weather didn't work out and then we were just hanging out as friends. And I realized really quickly that this is not someone to have like a, a coffee friendship with. This is someone, you know, people serve different purposes and have different energies for different reasons and getting really clear on what that is and being really selfish. I think another thing that I've learned recently is that especially in a Facebook and Instagram world we live in is I rather have four close friends than 50 friendships or acquaintances Yeah, and being really protective of my calendar and of myself. And so I've had to say no to a lot of people. I've had to set a lot of boundaries. And I've also had to face the fear of, well, what am I going to do on Friday night? Because my closest friends are out of town or busy. He says, well, that's the universe telling you, you need to go take yourself out to dinner and learn how to be just you. Mm. You know, because I would rather be alone than be with the wrong type of person. Yeah. And don't you find as well, the more, the more you go within yourself and the more you do that deep work on yourself, the more you become in tune to this. So you can almost tell within an instant whether you're going to vibe with that person and whether it's going to be right for you. I mean, I've found this, I don't know if it's the same for you, but it's almost like a sixth sense, you know, straight away, like, Oh yeah, this is good. This is going to vibe. And then other times it's not, I I, I get that now. I'm always almost like instantaneously. I know whether it's going to be the right, the right conversation, the right vibration straight away. And the other thing that struck me off the back of what you just said is um, it came to me in a meditation recently, almost like an epiphany that you can't help everyone. And I think sometimes we try and help everyone and we try and do a little bit for everyone. And sometimes you've just got to learn to realize and let go that you can't help everyone. Not everyone's going to understand you. Not everyone's going to be on your level, your vibration, whatever you want to call it. And sometimes you just have to learn to let that person move on by and and know that you can't help everyone. And I, I truly believe as well as this one, what one of my coaches told me probably three or four years ago, he, he said, look, there's some people that are addicted to suffering and that's what they just enjoy. And you can try and pull them back from the wall of suffering as much as you want, but they'll still keep going back to that wall of suffering. So I just wanted to point that bit out. <laughs> it's, it's spot on. I would say that, I would say you can help anyone, but then you have to sacrifice your own happiness. Yeah, And so you can't help everyone while also maintaining yourself. And I completely resonate with that because I've had clients who I've thought that, oh, if I could only be more emotionally mature, if I could be more spiritually enlightened, if I could be in such a harmonious place, then I would have been able to really help them. And so then being hard on myself and I called some of my friends and obviously I have coaches and I said, you know what, maybe in two years, uh, I would have been able to help that person and kept them on as a client. And they laughed and said, no, maybe in two years, you would have walked away from them a lot sooner. Yeah. And realized a lot more quickly that 
you can only help people that want to be helped. And something, I, I hate teaching sales, not because I don't enjoy it. I love teaching sales. I just don't want to pass away one day and my tombstone said, Brendan Burns, the sales guru. Yeah, yeah. But it's something that I'm blessed with. I'm very good at sales and very good at business, you know, and, and thankfully I haven't had to focus on that nearly as much as relationships and self. And one of the things that I teach when I teach uh, sales seminars is you need three things to get a client. You need, they need to um, need whatever you're offering. So if you're a health and wellness coach, but they're uh, 4.8% body fat, they're in the best shape of their life. They have an Olympic trainer and a coach already. They have a whole staff. They, they might not need your services. Yeah. Um, however, as coaches, I think most people need what we have to offer. So that rarely is the issue for me with getting a new client. It's really someone who needs it. Then there's also, they have to be able to afford it. So if you're doing it in a one-on-one -on -one context, that will price out a lot of people for me, but I have group programs, I have workshops, I have online courses. So again, that's not even really an issue. Almost everyone needs what I have to offer. Almost everyone can afford some version of what I have to offer. I even have a free podcast, so that's not even an issue at all. The most important, the third thing is they have to want it. Mm. So when you take someone who's a suspect, because everyone thinks that everyone's a prospect, that's not true, everyone's a suspect, and your job is to qualify them and figure out if they're a prospect. And only from that point would you engage in a sales process with them. And so to bridge that gap, it's do they need it? Yes. Can they afford it? They can afford something of mine? Yes. But do they want it? And that makes the difference between someone who's going to stick around and someone who's just going to hire you and try to beat you down or try to stay addicted to suffering. And you can realize pretty quickly, all right, this isn't a good fit. And something I also teach, especially coaches, I coach a lot of coaches, is signing people up for minimum contracts, six months, 12 months, painful, these types of things, really helps bring more stability and revenue in for people's businesses. And yet, even in these situations, I tell people, they say, but Brendan, they signed up for eight month minimum $15,000. And if I just stick it out with them, I'll get all that money. And I say, that's, that's low integrity though, because you're only going to stay in that contract if you can actually help them. And if there's no opportunity to do that, then, and, and I've done this personally with multiple people this year, is I've said, look, I know you signed up for longer, but with where you're at, you're not a good fit for my program anymore. So I'll refund you and I wish you the best. And here are some books to read. And if you feel like you're ready to come back, we could proceed in this fashion. Mm. Yeah. And it takes courage to do that for sure. Well, it's scary. I mean, now it's easier for me. It's, there's still fear because I'm still growing, but nowhere near where it used to be in the beginning. It's very scary. Let's say if you're only making a hundred thousand dollars a year and you have a client that's 10 or 15% of your revenue, scary to let that go, but it is valuable. Most importantly, because you then it's like a relationship. You create space for someone better. Yeah. And, and with that, those two people specifically, I've said it's not a good fit. And then I've replaced them with people who pay about 50% more and are much better fits for me. Yeah. Makes and sense. For coaching, for coaching. Yeah. Cool. I'm conscious of the time. I'm keeping my eye on the time, but there's still a couple of uh, things that I want to ask you before we, before we wrap up. Um, probably, probably about maybe 10 or 15 minutes ago, you mentioned about fear and people having their fears and, the, and their personal fears. But what are your fears? I'm keen to know, like, what, what are your fears, if you have any, and are you happy to share them with us? And 
how do you overcome them and combat them and don't let them consume you? I think that as human beings, we all have the same fear that we're not enough and that if we're not enough, we won't be loved. Tony Robbins said that at one of the events I went to, and I really like that. So to me, that is a, is a shame, shame driven fear. I'm not enough. And so if, you know, I have this fear due to my shame that if I'm not enough, I won't receive love. I think the highest need that we as human beings have is for love and connection. Yeah. hundred percent. So that's absolutely something I'm working through a million percent. And one of the neatest things that I've realized is that when we can claim ownership for our shame and our fear of losing love, then we no longer surround ourselves with people who are more broken than us because that can take the attention off of where we're at. Right. Because let's say, and this is very common. I do a lot of relationship seminars and work and a lot of, a lot of men too, but you see this a lot with women. They come to me and all they want to do is talk about this guy who is an actor or a bus boy, or he's something where he does not have his life set up. He's totally unavailable for intimacy. He had, they haven't spoken in six months and he might even have a new girlfriend, but the woman comes to my seminar and all she wants to do is talk about him and get him to like her. And that's just, it's, it's just not going to happen. So we have to say, why are you so attracted to someone who's totally unavailable? Well, I'm unavailable and I'm not willing to be available to a steady, healthy, safe man, because that's going to challenge my shame and my fear of intimacy and all my own stuff. So for me, that's, that's one big thing is the shame. The other big thing that I have fears around that I think most people do is some form of anxiety. So this is what's called the human need for certainty. So having enough money, having stability with your finances and your career, having stability with friendships, with housing, with food, with whatever. So there's a quote by the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu. He says, if you are depressed, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. Only in the present moment can you be happy and at peace. So anxiety is very much focused on the future. And that's where spirituality has helped me tremendously because Eckhart Tolle, for example, he's one of these teachers. He says, tell me what problem you have right now. And I said, and I, if I were talking to him, I'd say, well, but you know, what if uh, this big client of mine cancels and you know, I'm corporate leadership coaching and it's, he's paying $10,000 a month and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, tell me what problem do you have right now? And I would say, well, I have a fear that one of my clients might cancel at some point in the future. And at that point I would then be scared about money, but I would be totally fine about money then. And I'm totally fine about money now. So I have no problem. I have anxiety. Yeah. I have an addiction to my mind. I'm, I'm letting my thoughts run their processes, which then triggers negative emotions. Yeah. So I would say that love connection, certainty, security, um, fears around both of those. And the way I'm working through them is um, by doing the hard but true work of facing the shame because it's really just a fear that I won't receive love. Well, I actually get to control if I get love or not because I can, the highest form of love that I can experience, arguably I can control and get that just from myself, whether it's God, spirituality, the universe, or just me. And if that's not good enough for you, you want love from a woman, you want a best friend, you want family, whatever, you also get to control that Mm. based on if you give yourself love, if you 
emanate love, if you do this work and learn all these concepts, you will be able to create that. So you're actually in control. So if you have that fear, you say, okay, I'm allowed to have that fear. That's healthy. I want to process that. And what can I do with that fear? What action can I take? How can I train my mind? What actions can I go do right now that will get me closer to that place that I want to be at? So from a machine perspective, there's so much you can do on that to heal that. And then on the anxiety side, yes, you can go, I'm going to go work more. I'm going to go create more wealth that will help. But at the end of the day, I, I've realized that certainty is a feeling, not a fact. I'll give you an example. Have you ever thought that you, you were secure and you had it all figured out and just the next day or a week later, something really big happened that you, you didn't realize yeah. ever happened to you? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I'm sitting in this relationship with this woman and she's asking for more connection and I'm kind of being like false macho and just playing it cool. And I think I have her and I think I'm secure and everything's great. And then boom, a week later, she's out. That's called a false sense of security, right? We can fool ourselves into thinking we have more security than we have. And then we can also get afraid that we have less security than we actually do have. Security mm. for the most part is totally a belief that we have in our brain. And so if we go out and we get a new client, now our belief has been modified to say, oh, okay, we're actually don't need to be scared. But whether you have the client or whether you don't, it, it, again, it always just comes down to the belief. Mm. So I really think fear is a mindset that you can train yourself to not live in. Like I've, I've seen really good speakers who go on stage in front of 20,000 plus people or in front of millions of people, if they're syndicated on TV, for example, and someone will ask them, do you get nervous? And they're, sometimes it doesn't even seem that authentic initially, but they'll just start laughing. They've trained their brain to say, no, I don't get nervous. No, this is no problem. And even though there might be some nerves or some fear there, they just say that and then they really start to believe that. And then they say, I'm not even going to think about this. I'm fine. And they just go out and they just go do it. So I think fear is really just a mindset that you can change. Yeah. And that belief, that belief system is so powerful. And also, we spoke about this on one of my podcasts with Bruce Van Horn. Have you heard of Bruce Van Horn? He, he's re he wrote a book about worry and he, he was just like, look, the worrying is, is the narrative, is the story that you tell yourself. And if you can change that story and change your narrative, then you can you can make the changes and you can make the the worry kind of disappear and the fears disappear and i just love that that analogy of what is it fear is false evidence appearing real it's just the story that you've told yourself that isn't true <laughs> so yeah exactly i have a client but it's easy for us to say that but it takes work like we're going back to that like it takes work working on yourself making the habitual changes to overcome that it's not it's not we can easily say oh yeah fear is false evidence appearing real and it's just a story but you've got to work on it to make the changes haven't you absolutely and it's not all easy it's not always fun one thing that helps though is getting accountability and creating a support system because if you're constantly surrounding yourself by people who are going to help you reprogram your mind essentially the way i think about it is we the body we are hardware and our thought patterns and all these beliefs, all the work we have to do is just changing the software. Yeah. So what can we put into our life that's going to help us just constantly, you know, when you get a, a pop-up on your phone, you know, you need new software upgrades. The real life version of that is having a friend like you, Ali, in my life and who's constantly popping up and saying, Hey, you know, you need a software upgrade. Stop yeah. complaining about your last relationship. You're fine. You're going to meet someone better. 
that's those are the pop-ups that I have surrounded myself with. So that just helps me because yes, the work can be tough. It can be challenging. It's easy to fall back into bad patterns. So community groups, connection with other human beings, surrounding yourself with like-minded people, going to events. Like I'm holding an event later this month. We're going to have at least 50 people there. I've had people fill out the intake forms. They're saying, I'm just looking to get connected with people who want to go to these types of events. Mm. I want to create my own mastermind group. I want friendship with people who are going to hold me accountable and we can challenge each other. I remember after I went to date with destiny, which is Tony Robbins one week event. I met, I met a great guy and we would check in on the phone once a week. We'd set goals and we'd say, all right, I'm going to hold, you know, this is for, especially this is a good thing. If, if people can't afford like high ticket one-to-one coaching initially, I would say always pursue a coach or a therapist long-term. It's an invaluable resource. But if you're going through this transition, find an accountability partner. You can say, all right, this week my, I'm going to do this and you're going to do this. And we're going to get on the phone and check in about these things. Yeah. So those things help me and I've helped a lot of my clients as well. Yeah. Our, our kind of flagship program with him, because, I don't think I let you onto this, but I run my own gym with my wife. We've got our own fitness facility and our kind of flagship program is our small group training program, which is a semi-private um, program and it's groups of four and we have men, women, all different abilities, ages uh, in the groups. But that is the thing that they all love is the accountability. We've got like a Facebook group, WhatsApp group, and they all in, uh, communicate inside that, hold each other accountable <laughs> and it's like it's just crazy like they're almost like doing the work for for me and sarah and for our trainers because they're answering each of us questions but accountability support is is just super powerful and as you mentioned that's why having a coach is so important as well it's something that i've always uh particularly since i've been in business is, is something that i've always looked to have is a, is a coach to to help lead me guide me spot my blind blind spots, the weaknesses and that kind of stuff. But as you said, more importantly, hold you accountable hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh we've covered a lot of really exciting and helpful topics today. I know. Yeah. We've covered so much. So I'm going to uh, wrap things up, but before we do that, I just, I, I always like to leave the listeners with actionable steps. So we've covered so much, so many different topics, but if there's people listening to this and they're like, yeah, I'm ready to, to make changes and accelerate my, my health and, my wellness and my mind, body, spirit, all of that kind of stuff. And, and maybe following your footsteps or my footsteps, what would be like maybe one piece of advice that you'd say, right, just as soon as you stop listening to this podcast, go and implement this or do this and it will, it will help you on your way. What would that one thing be? Tough question. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say go to the, go to the bathroom, go to a mirror and do the mirror exercise right now. So you want to make eye contact. You want to say three things that you're proud of yourself for doing today or yesterday. If it's the morning, you want to say, you want to thank yourself for three temptations that you resisted. So maybe you didn't eat the cheeseburger when you wanted to, maybe you didn't go and flirt with the woman because you're married. Maybe you didn't have the fourth beer, whatever it is. And then you want to then say three things that you really love about yourself. And then you want to really key in and make that good eye contact for at least 10 seconds and say, and I just want you to know and say your name. I just want you to know, Brendan, I love you. And hold that. And just go do that right now. And then if you, and then I would keep doing that at least once a day. Just do it once a day at night for the next 30 days and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. It'll, it'll change your life. Trust me, go and do it. Everyone that's listening, go and do it for sure. 
It'll, it will absolutely change your life because it's so much easier to hold compassion and give love to other people than it is to ourselves. And yeah. I think that's because we're not really keyed in with who we are. And when we go to the mirror, we're looking at our nose or our chest or our eyes or whatever. And we're not looking into our eyes or into our real soul. And that's the, the inner essence of you that needs the love and the attention and the acknowledgement. And so go to the mirror and go check in with that person and ask that person what he or she needs. And then you can start to care for yourself and then you don't have to start getting that from other people and then blaming them when they don't give you what you need to be giving to yourself anyway. And you'll realize your relationship with yourself improves. You'll be getting more of what you need and then you will come from a better place and have better relationships with other people too. Yeah. I first read about that technique and I don't know if you've read the book, but I read it in a book called the magic of believing. Um, so I recommend the listeners to go and check that book out. The magic of believing it's an old book, but most of the good books are old anyway. So <laughs> yeah, a lot of them are. I mean, if you look at a new book, that's good. It's usually based off of teachings that are at least a thousand years old. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Brendan, where can the listeners go to find out more about you and, and find out who you are and, and, and get your content and follow you and all that kind of stuff? Where can they go? Best place is my website and Instagram. It's brendanhburns.com or at brendanhburns on Instagram. And the podcast is called The Brendan Burns Show. And you can find that on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, YouTube. And I would specifically point out my episode with Dr. Robert Glover on No More Mr. Nice Guy. And my episodes on relationships, I think are very powerful. So I would check those out. Yeah, perfect. We always end the Kinetic Fitness show in the same way. And that is with a favorite quote. And I probably should have uh, let you know about this, but I know you've got loads. So um, it can be one of your own, one from somebody else, but just finish the show and end it with a favorite quote of yours. Yep. I'll use one of my own, which is, you don't need to change who you are all you need to change is your perception of yourself. Beautiful. Love it. That's it. We're done. We're Loved done. It. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That was great. And yeah, my one, pleasure. The, the listeners are going to get so much from this. I know they are. So I appreciate your time. Absolutely. You did a great job. You asked really good questions. You, you're really good at finding this balance of making it conversational as well. So really hats off to you for being a great, great podcast host i've done a lot of these and you did thank awesome you. appreciate that thank you that means a lot okay yeah. i wish you all the success brendan and we'll keep in touch as well because I'm, I'm always following you and i'm uh, i've got your course online and stuff so we'll keep in touch and when i'm in nyc i will hit you up <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely okay cool. thanks right. Allie. Have a great day you too man see you later bye, bye. that's a wrap on another episode of the kinetic fitness show don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast episode with your friends, family, and colleagues. Until next time, peace and love.